This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. Welcome back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTKA.com. Sam Webb, Mr. Ira Weintraub on the other side and joining me as they do every single week, every single Thursday in the 9 o'clock hour, the MGO Blog crew for the MGO Blog Roundtable. We get ready for the Maryland game where we reflect upon an adversity-laden week and a disrespectful week when it comes to the Big Ten Conference when it comes to Commissioner Tony Petiti showing his cluelessness about the game of football and the level of disrespect that he was willing to show Michigan on behalf of the rest of the league. And so, fellas, a lot to unpack. So let's just jump right in after I exchange pleasantries. Brian, good morning. How are you? Good. I, I usually say the same thing at the beginning of these what, what do you say? Because I don't remember. I usually say I'm well, but oh. uh, I can't keep doing the same thing over and over again because I'm not going to be Manny Diaz. Seth <laughs> <laughs> Fisher, good morning. How are you? I'm supposed to say save Marvin's Marvelous Mechanical Museum, which they're going to turn into a mire, except it'd be really helpful to me to have a mire across the street from me, and I never really liked Marvin's growing up, so I'm very, very, very twisted on this. <laughs> and of course, Craig Ross, who are you are you basically in mourning this morning, Craig? Over the Bowling Green game? Yes. Yeah, I am. Uh I was on the field. I was sitting there with the defensive backs. I was impressed with their passion for the game. Uh and the whole team's passion. But they already had 28-10 to a really good Toledo team, lost 32-31. Tough game for BG, but they've had a pretty good year. I want a real quick shout out to a fine attorney in town, Lori Butewig, who I had a mediation with this week. And she said something really smart about football, but I can't for the life of me remember what it was. But I told her, hey, Lori, I'll shout you out for saying something smart. And if I ever remember what it was, I'll repeat it. Well, so. I mean, it's a fitting uh, compliment because it allows us to highlight the absolute cluelessness as i said before yeah. the, about the game of football by the commissioner of the league which is you know you got if, if there's one thing you should know a little bit about when you become the commissioner of the big 10 brian wouldn't you think it would be the game of football <laughs> i mean what did i guess what did you expect when you hired harvard law grad <laughs> <laughs> they're not all dopes well if they're not practicing law they are dopes <laughs> like I, I will admit that I imagine that there are some guys out there with Harvard law degrees who are actually practicing law. I'm, I'm glad you admit it. that. At least. <laughs> I will, I will take that L. But if you're a Harvard law grad and you're not practicing law, come on, man. But well, he was like I'll the, say there is the worst attorney I ever encountered in Washtenaw County was a Harvard law grad. That's right. That's and right. he was practicing law. He. He he was so bad, it's impossible to believe. At these but, Ivy League fail sons out of our conference. We got plenty of good lawyers. You're going to find out. I, w I but, will uh, say the one person I know who went to Harvard is really the dumbest person I grew up with. Exactly. <laughs> I am not joking about this. I am not Some people know exactly this. who I'm talking about, too, by the way. <laughs> I this is not a joke in any way whatsoever. But also, this guy was the the TV guy for Major League Baseball. So, what does he know about anything? He doesn't know anything about anything. So, 
for him to swoop in on a Friday when the courts are closed and suspend Harbaugh for three games for stuff that everybody else in the conference is doing for stuff that gave Michigan no tangible advantage. I mean, this guy's got to go. Well, he knows two fire. things. He knows how to be a duplicitous swine and he knows how to lead a mob. Well, you know. well, he's not leading the mob. He's not leading anything. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem. Yeah. Like we talked a couple weeks ago, what leadership would look like and leadership looks like, okay, I know you guys are upset, but you know, this is not how the, this stuff plays out in the sec. We don't get the sec doesn't get up in their feelings about the fact that everybody's breaking the law because everybody's breaking the law. And if you think Ohio state hasn't been doing the same thing for 20 years, 50 years, I mean, I got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. So they, they normally do the opposite. Normally, I mean, normally what happens is the NCAA comes to investigate a school and the conference of that school goes to the school and says, how can I help you? The, the fact <laughs> that the NCAA, first of all, they, they've never heard of this before. The NCAA going to the conference and saying, hey, guys, you got to do something about this sign stealing thing. That was unprecedented. But at that point, any commissioner, except for the guy in the 50s who destroyed the, PAC, uh, the, the Pacific Coast Conference, any commissioner other than that guy would have responded the same exact way, which is tell them to take a hike, call Michigan, and say, what can I do to help you? Because you have to protect your schools. That's part of his job. And the fact that he not only doing that, but pursuing this legal strategy of trying to get Harbaugh no matter what. And that's what happened here. I just, I just can't believe the guy got snowed so bad. <laughs> and once it was clear that he got snowed, he doubled down. Like, yeah. How much <laughs> more, like. How much of a pushover do you have to be? You're in this call, and people are like, this is the worst scandal in the history of the Big Ten. And the Michigan's like, teams have our signs all the time. Like, how do you not have, like, pride? Because these guys lied to you. They lied to your face. And Michigan provided you evidence of that. And you're still rolling over to these guys and showing them your belly. Like, man, that's, that's rough. I would not want to be that guy's son. I, you know, I said yeah. something on one of the other shows that that if you're Tony Petiti, you're you're you are going through all of this. You're you're seeing the feedback. Even Michigan critics are like, I don't the way you the way you doled out the punishment is a bit sketchy. You need to go back and look at who were the people that colored your perspective the most. Let's set aside the mob. Who were the individuals? That came to you and were like, you this is this is the problem, player safety. Like Alan Haller, like Alan Haller thinks you're an idiot. You know that, right? Like he really thinks you're an idiot. Because I actually think Alan Haller might believe it. <laughs> well, well then he's an idiot too. So you so then you've taken advice from it. So either he thinks you're an idiot, or now it's confirmed that he's an idiot, and that's who you took advice from. Because yeah. when he when he came to town talking about that player safety stuff, he got laughed at. Like literally, and that should tell you, okay, this probably isn't something I should say to anyone else, right? Because this is behind. I should maybe keep this argument to myself. Don't put it out there for public consumption. And he did it anyway. And he left it in the legal. And so he had two shots at this. And I think this is an important thing to to talk about how because it describes what Tony Petiti is actually doing. And I think it. It shows that we actually got him wrong a little bit. I don't think he's just being a pushover. I think that he has malice. Because the, you take the first version of the, of the letter he sent, which is just all the dumb stuff that they threw at him, thinking that Michigan was going to roll over, right? And when Michigan responds to him and says, no, dude, this is not due process. This is not how we do things. This is not fair. You have no cause whatsoever to get Harbaugh in your rules anywhere, Right. Michigan's response, he has to, his lawyers take a look at it. His lawyers say Michigan's right. You don't really have an opportunity to get Harbaugh on this thing. Nothing in your rules says you, that says you can get the institution, and your rules says you can punish individuals. You can get counter stallions, or you can get the University of Michigan. And then he, they rewrite it so that they can make up this new concept where I can use the most 
charitable version of my rules. I don't have to. I, I don't have to worry about the rule that actually says how I have to do due process. I can skip that and go to this other part of the rules where I can just give summary judgments, which is meant for when a ref when you like complain about the referees after the game. That's what that part of the rule is for. And they and they try to then they try to imagine that they can say why punishing the institution we're going to punish the coach and then come to the same exact conclusion they had before. This is malice. This is someone who had an outcome that he wanted at the beginning. I wanted to get rid of Jim Harbaugh. They couldn't do it the way that they wanted to do it, so they go to the lawyers and say, how can you finagle it? And then their whole thing is just tricks. It's, it, Richard Hogue has a great video that everyone should watch. It's two hours long. I can't really summarize the whole thing here. But he went through the entire argument and was like, this is what I would do as a lawyer if I was trying to, you know, and, but I couldn't, he couldn't even help them make the case. They don't have a good case. The only reason they would go through this is malice. I think Tony Petiti hates Michigan. I think Tony Petiti wants to get rid of Jim Harbaugh. I think that he is on board with these guys. I don't think he just rolled over. I think he feels like he's, a, he's like a message board Twitter idiot, just like all the – and that, that's why we have literal message board Twitter idiot arguments going into legal documents for the Big Ten. I have a question for you guys. I don't recall the Big Ten ever coming in and suspending a coach. I mean, in the absence of an NCAA investigation or the school doing it themselves. For example, I don't think the Big Ten came in on Pat Fitzgerald and their hazing issues. I think the school came in. Uh, I don't think on Harbaugh's hamburger issue, uh, the, the Big Ten came in. I think that was Michigan at this point. I can't recall a single instance ever where the Big Ten came in in the absence of the school doing something or in the absence of the NCAA doing something where they just came in and said, ah, you're suspended. They, I mean, can they, you? They don't you don't know, uh, maybe they just, I thought... They suspended him. No, they. I think the Big Ten suspended Juwan Howard after the Wisconsin incident. But that's what the sportsmanship policy is. Okay, but that's what it's intended for, right? Right. Like, and that's a completely reasonable thing. Like, that's because I mean, you saw what happened. Right. right. Yeah. Sportsmanlike. Right. Yeah. You suspend the guy. You don't suspend Jim Harbaugh when he there's no evidence linking him to this, which they acknowledge, and their bylaws specifically prohibit guys who do not commit offenses from being subject to this discipline and then they use some legal chicanery to say that like suspending Jim Harbaugh is a sanction to the institution but they don't want to affect the players guys like not having your head coach isn't affecting JJ McCarthy like everything that they're saying about this is completely duplicitous so one this is the greatest scandal in the history of the big (laughs) ten so what we're gonna do is we're gonna suspend jim harbaugh for three games but only on game days yeah there are literally the same (laughs) punishment they gave urban meyer for allowing his assistant coach to justification for the suspension does not align with the suspension yeah If we believe the garbage that they are spewing, they should end Michigan seasons right now if they believe it because it's player safety and Michigan has endangered player safety and that is sacrosanct. So we are ending this program right now, but instead they're giving Michigan a punishment that doesn't even move Vegas lights. Yeah, this this dude that that I I cannot believe that continues to be a thing. He, He should at least have some common sense. Like you who knows nothing about football, you discovered something that Jim Delaney didn't know. In all his years being commissioner, he had no idea what grave risk players were, were at when it came to, to science. And no one else in college football either, for that matter. And to your point, Craig, the unprecedented nature of this, to me, is most exemplified by no conference, no conference stepped in when – the FBI had wiretaps of coaches, <laughs> coaches uh, making strong ass offers and all kinds of things. No conference jumped ahead of the NCAA even in suspending any coach. And yet in on this matter, this matter, you stepped in. It just it's galling. And I do think it is. I, I don't know if it's the malice of of hating Jim Harbaugh himself. 
but I think he was a henchman. He was a tool. I, to, he was an instrument to to carry out, you know, this this hatred from the coaches and the ads. Yeah, I don't no think he's got personal animosity with Harbaugh. I just think he's a dumb guy. I I I like, think that the, the what he went through with is, has malice. And I think the point is that they're focused on Jim Harbaugh, and I think I just think he's, he's doing a really it dumb guy. Well. <laughs> Fine. But you and I can't. Fi- yeah, we can't figure that out. What we can figure out is that he is <laughs> taking arguments directly from Ohio State Twitter and putting them into his legal arguments. This is and this- those are also stupid people. Yes. Yes. So I just think. <laughs> okay. Like, it's just like oh, that Granted, sounds like he's a good an idiot. I said he's an idiot. I went to Harvard Law. <laughs> I must be an idiot. <laughs> All right. My point is, he's got he's threading a needle because what he has to do is turn Ohio State Twitter arguments into legal arguments, and that's and that's a, the the thread he's doing. Ohio State does not want to go and punish the players. They don't want to punish the players because they have to recruit from the same coaches. If you want to go to IMG and get players, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Not- they would if they they would do anything to okay. prevent this game from happening. Okay, they do not want to <laughs> play this game. All right. I guarantee I, all right, you, I they do not want to play this game. Okay, I'll back off that argument. What I'm saying <laughs> is that he is trying to thread a needle to make sure it gets Jim Harbaugh. Because if they really wanted to just, if they looked at the issue and they said, okay, the problem is sign stealing, and there that is a fair thing to look at and say, look, guys, we let this go on for too long. One school got too good at it. Let's let's deal with the issue. When you have a systemic problem that some that other that teams have been taking advantage of, and Michigan probably was one of the schools previous to this that were in favor of keeping the way that signs are done because we felt it gave us an advantage. It's possible. Okay? All you have to do is say, Michigan, you're responsible for paying for everyone's new helmet headsets. Right? Whatever the fifty thousand dollars it costs at most, right? Pay Michigan has to buy them everybody headsets and let's move on. They could have done it a month ago. Yes, you know, they mandate wristbands right now. You don't even have to order the the. You don't have to mandate wristbands. Both teams in the Penn State Michigan State game used. I mean, Penn State Michigan game used wristbands. Yeah, both teams. Like, there's there's no there's no reason that this ever had to happen, except you're signing in your stuff and you're so mad that someone took your signs. Well, buddy, that's on you. That's on your opsec, and. You know, people are mad that Michigan's beating the brakes off of them, and they think this is the reason. Buddy, it's not. Well, Penn State you know, just put that out. Penn State, Michigan could have hold up a board that said "run" the entire second <laughs> half. <laughs> you know that there's that there's that Thamel article with the coaches. Like, do you know how much of an advantage it is when you say when you know when it's a run or a pass? And like, not okay. enough for Penn State to beat Michigan. <laughs> right. <laughs> Same thing after the end. This is basically Michigan giving you take our sides. That's a top 10 team at a home game with the best defense in America. We're saying run every play. Michigan puts up 6.1 yards an attempt. Do you really think it's the signs? (laughs) Do you think it's the signs? You know, if you're going to talk about motivation, I agree Petiti is an idiot, but the you know, this, I remember a number of years ago when I, I, I did the Trotsky analogy and how. How, how could I ever forget? Okay. <laughs> well, which, I think. Which time, it, which time, Craig, which time? Did you, well, I said, look. There have been many Trotsky uh, analogies on this show. Okay. Well, the one where I said it didn't matter how bad Michigan was. People still hate Michigan, and like they hit, like there were people who hated Trotsky, and so even though he was irrelevant, they came after him with an ice axe, you know. And so it's it's sort of the the same thing here. When people hated hated Michigan when they were no good, they really hate us now because they're really good. They're not getting all five star recruits. They're not beating Penn State recruiting. At least, if you look at the at the, we are uh, on the offensive line. Yeah, on the <laughs> offensive line. Yeah. But they're not beating Penn, Ohio State recruiting. Ohio State's the one getting the five stars, not Michigan. And it's, you know, so they really hate that, and they don't like Harbaugh, and and it's a confluence of of hatreds, and and out of that you've got this mob, and the mob somehow has been able to impact a guy who is 
maybe these are the same things, a Harvard Law School grad and an idiot. And so here we are. I think yeah. that he, Petiti's problem, and I think that he, he blew this. And he blew this even from the perspective of if you're trying to be Ohio State's buddy, which is, I think is what he's doing. He blew it because he had to take bad arguments and make them the argument. Instead of, there's, there was a way that he could have done this where he follows the rules, where he follows procedure. And if you really want to get Michigan, it was unprecedented for the NCAA to go to the Big Ten. It's unprecedented for the conference, almost unprecedented, for the conference to actually uh, have it out for a coach. It's this. I mean, this is stuff we've never seen before or have only seen like in the 1950s when people were reacting to very different uh, stimuli. And, I mean, this is something that Michigan could really leave the Big Ten over because how do you, after this, let's say we get the court injunction, we get past this, right, and we go through the NCAA process, the NCAA pans down its ruling, whatever it is, right, and the end of this, how do you function in a Big Ten run by Tony Petiti? Brian's absolutely right. He has to go. Michigan cannot be in this conference if the conference commissioner believes that he can lay down rules and that he can lay down punishments without anything other than other teams hate you. This is it's impossible. Yeah. Well, from my from my point of view, a it's I mean, Petiti uh, is a necessary condition to get rid of him, and b uh, the new Big Ten commissioner needs to apologize to Michigan. Outside of that. From on a personal level, I don't care if we're in the Big Ten. I just assume be out. Yeah, I think the I think the short term thing though, because he's he certainly rallied any any support for um, retention. He's rallied that support by going after Michigan. So this is where if you're and this is going on right now. By the way, this is where if you're Michigan, you start thinking about a future where at least with Michigan football. You're thinking about life outside the Big Ten. You're watching Notre Dame to see what they do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Do they get the $75 million deal that they're talking about? Uh, d- does that happen? You open yourself up to the super conference idea for football, that is. And with an eye on down the line, when this contract that they think they're going to negotiate for a record amount in, in 2030, are you really going to have Michigan as part of your equation? Yeah, they should have to sweat about that. And the rest of these schools should have some, you know, that that's the other part that's really galling to me. Like I, I have to apologize to people for misrepresenting how prevalent the dislike and disdain for Michigan and Jim Harbaugh was. I didn't think it was to this level. I thought, of course, you got Michigan, you got Michigan State and Ohio State and Penn State because James Franklin's like that, right? Maybe Rutgers because they they think too much of themselves. But the rest of these teams, these teams that are, you know, lucky to be along for the ride, they get it. But no, it's all of them. It's all of them that turn their backs on Michigan. So you know what? Michigan needs to start thinking about, okay, let's do us. And let's at least have the threat of doing us out there. And maybe that'll get some people in line. And if it doesn't, let's have our options available so when the time comes, we're ready to move and able to move when the opportunity presents itself. Well, what you said is so salient, Sam, because you would think – that somebody in the Big Ten would say, you know, I don't agree with this. Some coach, some AD. I mean, you had Dion Sanders saying that. You had Scott Leffler saying that. Otherwise, it's been silence from the Big Ten. And in this context, I view silence as agreement with what Petiti is doing. And and these guys, I mean, I don't mind Michigan being communist vis-a-vis Indiana, Purdue, Northwestern, Illinois. That's okay. We have some historical tethers to them that make that reasonable. But cowboy days are over. You know, cowboy days are over from my point of view. And the hell with them. And Right. They're so dumb to be pursuing this. I, I don't think that it's just talk. I don't think it's just shaking your stick. I think that there is a real problem that Michigan has, that you cannot go through this process and still have Tony Petiti be the commissioner. Now, if Tony Petiti continues to be the commissioner because he has support from 13 out of the schools, well, USC is going to be joining. USC can go and say, look, we didn't realize that you interpret your rules this way. We're a big school that people are going to hate too, right? USC is in a great spot in the future to be the biggest to be the best school in the Big Ten and if people come after them 
then I, that, I would be really concerned if I'm them right now. Washington is a great program, too. I would be super concerned of any of those West Coast schools because they're not going to be the majority when they get here. The other teams might, jump, might gang up on them, too. So you have a major problem now where you have a leader who has established that he is going to go after somebody if they're unpopular. And you cannot have that in that position. If Tony Petiti stays the commissioner, the Big Ten is going to lose Michigan. We cannot stay in this conference with that. What's the future look like? Notre Dame probably ends up being Ohio State, too, because Ohio State's too golden. All right, but USC, you could talk to Texas. There are ways of getting the biggest schools in the country together and say, look, we're not sharing revenue with you jerks anymore. And when Michigan State becomes a Mac school, and Indiana is a secondary school, and Rutgers is left out, this is the only way it can happen. They have a sweet deal. And the only way they could screw it up would be something like this. And here we are. Uh, anything else, guys, before we start talking? Well, I just want to echo no, what, what, what Seth said briefly, is that they do have sweet deals, and and they're and they should and some of those schools should recognize it. Someone in some of those schools should say, "Wait a minute, let's put the brakes on here." And since none has, the hell with them. All right, so we'll use this as a break point to be able to switch gears and talk Michigan, Penn State, where Sharon Moore goes and out coaches Manny Diaz and James Franklin. The whole Penn State staff got rings coached around them in that contest. We will dig into that on the other side. More MGO Vlog Roundtable when we return here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK, the ticket. Clear on the radio. Yes, sir. The uh, You guys have your your breakdown up of, of Michigan Penn State? Yeah. Well, yeah. The well, song. one hasn't gotten up yet, but it'll go up today. Seth did his defense. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I looked at the offense a whole bunch, too, because I did the neck sharpies on it this week. Okay. I mean, it wasn't that hard to pick something this week. (laughs) Huh? What X's and O's things should I talk about? Is it (laughs) Manny Diaz having his ends flying upfield no matter what? Didn't pay attention to the run at all. But that's Manny for you. No, that that his defense works against the run. It's it's that he did not change up what he was doing when Michigan adjusted. He stopped running that uh at that. That pressure package that he was running in the first half, he scrapped it. Mm-hmm. He, didn't, he didn't go back to it a single snap in the second half. They got him out of that. It, and I give him credit. It was Michigan was not going to be able to block that if they dropped back, you know, 15, 20 times. And so well, they didn't do it. And he didn't have an answer. He didn't have an effective answer for what Michigan did. And Sharon knew at the end of the day, they aren't going to move up the, up and down the field uh, for seven, eight, ten play drives. Uh, and you got James Franklin over there. He's going to do some James Franklin stuff, and he did do some James Franklin stuff eventually. I actually thought he had learned his lesson for a minute. He was actually punting on fourth down. <laughs> How about that for a novel concept? <laughs> but he he reverted like James Franklin always does. I feel a little bad for for Yersich. I don't know uh, that yeah. he was that good coming from coming from the Big Twelve. I think any. High-powered, high-octane offense from the Big 12 is suspect because they don't coach against any defenses, but I think James Franklin is the problem there. I think Yurchish and Franklin are the same kind. I think they both come from the same offense, and like they they wanted to get him originally when they uh, when Ricky Ronnie left, and I think that he had he wasn't available quite yet, and then like you know the whole thing goes down, so then he becomes available. So I think that he was. Your case is just like another Franklin guy. Ricky, Ricky Ronnie was another Franklin guy. The one offensive coordinator there they had was the guy who was, you know, what was the guy who beat the brakes off of us. Moorhead. Moorhead. Where's Moorhead these days? He's the coach at Kent State. He's the head coach at Kent was, State. Was, yeah. I thought it was Akron. He, he no. got neither one. Neither one is very there good. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right, there isn't much of a difference. Um, yeah, it's, what's this? It, this would be number seven for James at Penn State, right? Number seven on OCs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, most of his Two OCs. Of my point is, most of his OCs have just been copies of James Franklin. He's a, you know, he he learned how to coach under the fridge, and that's the, the that's the same coaching tree all the time, except Moorhead. Yeah. Well, 
keep doing the same thing over and over, I think the result is going to be different. The, the man had Micah Parsons and Saquon Barkley and couldn't turn that into anything. <laughs> so so what, what makes you think he's going to be able to, even with this, this defense was for real. Like, I, I give him credit. They got they good, some dogs. That's a good defense. They, they have some dogs. But, boy, they they just do not have a quarterback who's ready for prime time. And he put all the pressure on them. Put all the pressure on them down the stretch, which is um, – and and on a an OC who he had no faith in, clearly. I, yeah, well – I don't. I don't think that you're at fault there. I think the only way that you can beat Michigan is if you put on your quarterback, because that's how you play an NFL defense is an NFL quarterback. But I mean, that was. I I don't think that that was his main main problem. I think his main problem is that Michigan is just way better than his offense. His offensive line is terrible, and that's about twenty seconds, guys. They, All right, the receivers are terrible, so they don't have. Anything to attack with other than the running backs can get an extra two yards after they get hit. Incidentally, this Fosh new guy was supposed to be a, a first round pick or a high first round pick. Oh, he got the I didn't, but he's got those long arms. He's got those. He's got the bear hug going down. But outside of that. And we are back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA. So, Brian Cook, let's set the scene. You know, Michigan gets the suspension news. Uh, while it's on the plane to Happy Valley Friday afternoon from Pete Thamel on social media. Then they get the news that Jim Harbaugh isn't going to be coaching an hour before the game, less than an hour before the game. And they get in the game, and, man, that pressure is getting home. James Franklin, he probably is like, hey, Manny Diaz, they're feeling pretty good about themselves, feeling like, okay, we're going to get these guys. And then the tables get turned by Sharon Moore and, comp- and company your takeaways from that game? Well, we saw a lot of seven OL packages, and this is clearly something that Michigan had as a changeup that they were going to use for maybe, you know, 10 snaps, and they ended up doing double that. <clears throat> and it really could have been a lot worse for Penn State because Michigan puts up 6.1 yards in attempt, but I caught several minus twos just for bad decisions. You know, there's the a third and two where uh, Loveland is going for a guy who's going after McCarthy and that's why they don't convert. There's issues with IDing guys and all that stuff. It, I think that Michigan had issues with the big OL packages, but not nearly to the extent that Penn State did. Because that 42-yard duo from, from uh, Corum the uh, guy who's supposed to set the edge is 220 pounds. He's a safety. And he's up against A.J. Barner, who's 270 pounds. And so what does he do? He really wants to staple that hole closed, so he puts his head down. And he goes with all his might, and he does stall out Barner. But he doesn't set the edge. And that's what a lot of this was, is that Penn State would put a fifth defensive lineman in the game, but they were always having two linebackers, or two or, or a safety on the line of scrimmage trying to deal with either an offensive lineman or AJ Barner. And it worked when they were able to stunt, when they were able to game Michigan. But when they didn't have that and Michigan wasn't making mistakes, you know, that was the eight, six, seven yard runs. And that eight, uh, that 13 play drive in the second half where they go 45 yards all on the ground, they get down to the three. Um, pretty much the ball game, right? Because they go up eight points and there's barely over a quarter left. And they did all of that on the ground with the exception of the fourth, fourth and one. And it just felt like Michigan decided that they could choke the game out Mm -hmm. and they could. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we talk about playing a game like it's 1950 because this was a 1950 game. And in that your decisions get changed because the reason that you go for it on fourth down now is that the offenses are better, but when the offenses aren't very good, then yeah, you got it at your three. Sure. We're going to run it three times and we're going to get to a half yard of the first down and then we're going to punt and then you're not going to do anything. So that was. Yeah. Seth. Yeah. I mean, just to, to roll back the um, back to the idea of like, why go heavy, right? Penn state has 2023 players. They have 
some excellent chop Robinson's an excellent player. And I think the defense that they have for them, it really works well for what they have. Those guys get upfield, they're quick, they're athletic, they can win those battles that he puts them in. What Michigan does by adding more players to the line is one, your stunts don't matter as much because now it they they might just go around the stunt, right? Now now there's so many gaps that the gap that you're stunting is not is unlikely to be the gap that they're actually attacking. It also moves things out so the linebacker is supposed to make these guys right when they do all this stuff there. Now he's got to go all the way out there, right? So if that – he ends up – the guy's 210 pounds, by the way, Brian, the guy on the end there that's safety, right? He And he's dealing with A.J. Barner. The way that you make that right in their defense is the linebacker is supposed to get out there. But look how far away that is. That is just – that's six gaps over. And he's – the linebacker just can't get there, and he gets beat by Corum. So Michigan – Turn Chop Robinson into a defensive tackle, basically. They took all that talent that Penn State had and wasted it because all they're doing is, are being in, interior linemen. All they're doing is filling a gap. And then you can actually have the block that you want to happen be A.J. Barner versus a safety. And then defensively, Michigan didn't care. They just sat back and played their Ohio State defense. Yeah. Great thing about duo is the mic is – is Blake's man. Like mm-hmm. he's reading him. If if he had gone outside, then Blake just takes that up the middle and he might score. Yeah. <laughs> based on how the block was on, on that play. So Mike is canceled by by Blake reading him. That edge guy has got to make that play if that Mike goes up inside like he did. And it's just they're outside guys. He just got blocked. The other outside guys just had no regard, Craig, for the run. And I don't think that was poor discipline on their part. I think that's how they were coached. It was get J.J. McCarthy at all costs. That's all you have to worry about. Just get him. (laughs) And especially on third down. And you would think after the quarterback pit and pull, they would say, okay, let's be a little more responsible here. And that didn't change him. That didn't change him. That big play, third 10, didn't change him at all. They kept being indiscriminate on third down calls. and. Sharon made him pay for it. Well, uh, it I wasn't even. Oh, sorry. No, it's all right, Brian. You can. I mean, I was just going to say that. Um, I I'll admit some frustration during the game. I'm a big fan of play action on rundowns. I also like to run on pass downs because I like going for it on fourth down almost always. And and so the game had some level of frustration for me because I felt you know. This can't running 32 times in a row, or whatever can't work, can it? Well, but then I went back and 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 looked at the tape and Michigan on obvious uh, passing or uh, obvious rundowns passed five times for 9.8 yards per attempt, uh, and I okay that's pretty good. And then I looked at the obvious, quote, pass downs, the second and 11s, the third and 10s. Well, they ran 13 times on those for 133 yards. So that was 10.2 yards per attempt. So they did really, really go against the grain a lot in, in this one. And it, it really did work. And so even though during the game, I found some level of frustration. Now, the play you're talking about, uh, it, that wasn't a pin and pull, was it, Brian? I, that's what I, it was because the one, play? it was a second or a third and 11 or third and 10. And, and, and they ran a, a, the, a what I call down T. Barnard uh, went to the sidelines. Other people blocked in. Uh, the, they, okay. I call yeah, that a Barner, Barner and Loveland pin. Right. And and Barnhart pulled. And what do you call? Do you have a name pulled. for that play? Brian? I call it a crack sweep when the crack sweep. The, yeah. A guy flanked out who cracks down on the right. edge guy. Right. Okay. But what do you Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. In any event, that that play was a, a third and ten or third and eleven, and he got twelve, I think, on it. So, so congrats to Sharon Moore and the Michigan staff. I mean, it was a very courageous offensive game plan, in my opinion. Yeah, I look, you aren't going to play past a team that has no regard for the run. Yeah. They they ignore it. <laughs> they well, just completely I mean, ignore it. Like the first Edwards 22-yard run. Yeah. That was first and 10. The entire backside of that defense is at least 3 yards in the backfield, which is why he's got a truck lane. And I was I was just looking at this I'm like, 
Michigan has their heavy package on the field. Like <laughs> there are seven offensive linemen on the field. <laughs> what are you doing? Right. Like, I just, <laughs> Manny, Manny's good, Manny, man. I don't know, man. He could adjust, he could not adjust. And you you talk about a game that is built for Donovan Edwards, man. I mean, every all his big runs were cutbacks. Mm-hmm. And that's what he wants to do. That is that is what does, he wants does he? That, 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 yeah. that doesn't really correspond to my vision of Donovan Edwards. <laughs> that's what, well, I mean, his best run of the year last year was him cutting back a split zone. Where that play was there, and you could see him in this game. He's giving play side more of a chance. Clearly, coaching points are hitting him. Okay, just give play side more of a chance. But man, when he cut back, it was canceled Christmas, including that that zone that he cut back for the touchdown. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't adjust. His adjustment <laughs> was okay. That pressure package that was killing him the first two downs. We are going to see it again. And that's this is my my issue, not issue, but this is my observation about James Franklin. I have no idea why he didn't coach the same game that Sharon did. Like, listen, your defense for everything that we're saying about the lack of discipline that they showed in it throughout the game when it came to some of those runs, they were it was still a one score game. It was still a one score game with with what four and a half minutes to go, right? I'd give my defense another chance. To stop them, Michigan told you just going to run the ball. There's a chance that you get the ball back with a couple of minutes at least uh, and, and some downs, not everything being on this one play like he put on them on that fourth down call late in the game. Well, I think one thing that may have influenced that decision is that when Michigan was not getting their first downs and they were punting, those margins were thin. Like Edwards almost got, he got like a half yard short on Michigan's backed up possession. Michigan would have converted if Loveland um, found the right block on the next drive. Like the reason that Penn State was getting Michigan off the field was not something that, like, oh yeah, we got something that's sustainable here. Like Michigan was making mistakes, and Penn State was just sort of constitutionally incapable of fitting up this this run game, which is why they gave up six point one yards a carry. So. I mean, I thought it was a terrible decision too, but you know, frames is going to frames too. So, <laughs> like, well, I you, mean, you can just feel it him itching in the second quarter when he's like, "I haven't done anything stupid yet. Let's go for two. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, is, yeah. that is one of the most baffling decisions I've ever seen a football coach make because it's like, do you know what your offense is like? People are talking about making these decisions based on like, okay, it's about 50-50. You do not have a 50-50 chance of converting a, a two-point conversion with Drew Aller. <laughs> like that's just, I mean, the math there is just completely insane. And, you know, it's I, 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 he got heat for the second one, which was fine. The first one is one of the most boggling decisions I've seen since the last time I saw James Franklin coach a game. <laughs> yeah, the first one is is worse because it makes it so later in the game you got to chase it. I still maybe the analytics say he was he was fine for that second one. I I just I would choose to give my team some hope past that play. All right, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm I'm just gonna say this very briefly because I every time this comes up, people are very wrong. Very wrong. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> give Penn State an extra minute and extra timeout, and it becomes very clear what the right decision is. Because if you have three minutes and three timeouts, and you go for two, and you make it, you can kick it deep because you know you've got a good shot at getting the ball back with decent field position, and you need to go score a touchdown. And if you don't make it, you know you need to go onside. Now it's such a thin decision. Like the the best solution is don't be down two touchdowns. <laughs> it's like, but. You need the, you need the information first, and like hope. It doesn't matter if they don't have hope because they're down nine because you've lost the game. It's over. <laughs> yeah. But so, if you kick the extra points, you got eight, and you got some hope still. Yeah, but it doesn't matter if you get the two point conversion, then you have some hope. But if you don't get the two point conversion, then you've lost anyway. So it doesn't matter if they don't have any hope. Anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the hope thing is just—it's a psychological argument, and like you know, oh, you're going to take the fans out of the game. You're going to take your teams out of the game. Well, guess what? There is another blue team called the Lions, which has shown you that that's false. Because Dan Campbell came in here, and the first week he explained to all of his t- his players, "Here's the decision we're going to make in that exact situation." 
maybe not exact situation. Down, you know, an extra timeout in another minute because it really doesn't matter. We're two minutes anyway. But he explained to them, we're going to make these decisions. He explained to them why we're going to make these first down decisions. He said, this is the kind of team we're going to be. And here's how I want you to be thinking. And because the players get it, because they're all college graduates, they, they you know, they, they expl- you can explain this kind of thing to them. I know, Brian. I, but the, <laughs> Penn State players should be able to grasp this concept that we're going to have math dictate what we do because it gives us a better chance to win. If fans I mean, I just, can't yell because their team's down nine, then that's on your fans, man. I mean, just don't go for two in the first place, and then you're not in the situation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we can agree to disagree on that one. I, I think that's why right. I would ignore the analytics. I'd ignore the analytics altogether uh, and give my try to give my team something to grasp grasp upon, but. You go from, on one hand, believing that your offense, believing in your offensive coordinator, he can, he's going to make this play right now, and then he shows you that he can't make the play right now, and then you put him right back in the same position to make the play right now. You need to give him a few opportunities, your quarterback a few opportunities to maybe get lucky and, and get a Keandre Lambert Smith down the, down the sideline. Maybe you get lucky down there. If they have a little hope, they had none at that point. And it goes back to me, whether it's the, the first two-point conversion or that fourth down call where your quarterback's struggling, you don't like your, your OC because you fire him the next day. We know that. And then Michigan comes out the very next play and show you the folly. Show you the folly of your plan with a touchdown where J.J. McCarthy, again, was a key to springing a big play for a touchdown and put him away, man. It, it's, to me... I've seen a lot of fans. I'm curious if you guys are seeing this on the blog. Uh, kind of come at it like Craig did before he went back and watched the game over again. It's like, man, that won't work against Ohio State. I'm like, what, what makes you think they would do this against Ohio State? This is a battlefield decision yeah. with, with adversity is staring them in the face. And he had to make that battlefield decision to give them the best chance to win. And they won. Well, we got to talk about the likelihood of this repeating against Ohio State, which I don't think is particularly high because for one, You've got uh, evidence from last year where I have Carson Barnhart for two uh, pass pro minuses and 27 dropbacks. So he's played these guys before and he's come out pretty well. Now, I think they've improved more than Barnhart has, so it might be a little bit rougher this time. But the other thing is that Michigan was playing a road game at Beaver Stadium. And you can tell for big chunks of this game, this is really the first road game they've they played all year. and It's the last one where the crowd noise was a serious factor. Mm-hmm. So they're going to a silent count. They haven't been in a silent count all year. There are multiple plays where half the line doesn't have the right count. And the get-off of the Penn State defensive ends who are looking at the ball, who have tied Michigan's count up, is incredible. And on two of those three um, pass rushes that Barnhart gives up, I don't even know if he has a chance. Like, one of them, he just gets beat. The other two, the guys are just by him. Mm-hmm. And two part seconds. of that is... It was because, two seconds. He was. They were at the quarterback. Right, and 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 they are moving before the the ball is actually snapped. Now, it wasn't offsides. It was just great play. But that's not the kind of thing that the defensive ends of Ohio State do. They're speed to power rushers. They're good players, but they are not the pure edge demons that Penn State has. And they're. I think that Barnhart's going to have a little bit of a rough one against Ohio State, but I do not think that it is going to be the situation where Michigan cannot drop back to pass. Yeah, I want to remind you guys uh, watching, listening of the scenario last year. Illinois disrupted Michigan. Everyone was like, well, what does this mean for Ohio State? Is Ohio State going to play Michigan like Illinois? So you want them to. They are built like that. And all the Buckeye fans, oh, my God, did you hear what he said? I'm going to say it again. You want Ohio State to play like Penn State did. You want that action. You want that smoke. Please come with that kind of game plan. Because it will be worse. The beatdown be worse than it was. Like, I don't think Jim knows is going to do that, Craig. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, Brian's making a really good point, though, about, I mean, that place is loud. I mean, Penn State is the loudest, I think, probably the loudest stadium I've ever been in. And, uh, and Michigan was having a, a terrible time. Uh, with their silent counts. And you could see at times the offensive line wasn't 
wasn't starting at the same time. Mm -hmm. They had two or three illegal procedures and, and, and that's a big deal. And, uh, that isn't happening against, obviously it's not happening for Ohio state in two weeks, by the way, do you guys, what do you guys think about Maryland? Have you paid any attention to them? I have to admit, I've paid almost none, uh, <laughs> to them this year. They, they've got guys... some huge holes that they just cannot patch. Um, okay. I don't think their offensive line is, is good at all. They've got a real big problem. They keep on throwing new guys out there all the time. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Talia Tagovailoa is a good player, but he's going to be – he's he hit his ceiling a couple of years ago, and he's still kind of the guy he is. I think Michigan's pretty well set up to beat them. I just want to get out of here without – anything happening Andrew. look at the games before yeah. ohio state every year and they're always, always just problems, they're always man. just like a, a teeth clincher yeah. yeah i mean michigan's gonna play like butt and they're gonna win like 31 14 mm -hmm. yeah. yeah this has always been a hard game even the year with uh was it 2006 or 7 with ball state before the Ohio State game. Well, that's because they took out the starters and found out that Johnny Sears and Chris Richards weren't actually the next coming. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. But let's yeah. not talk about that ever again. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this Maryland team hasn't been the same since they crapped away the opportunity to beat Ohio State. Oh, my God. And Tug of Iowa is just like he's got a guy open and he throws it two yards wide and Josh Proctor picks it off. And you're just like, well, that's why you're Tug of Iowa. Mm -hmm. And it's just... Yeah. Uh, you know, it was very irritating then, but then Michigan will get the benefit. I mean, the good thing for Michigan is that Maryland is actually going to try to play passing offense. Yeah. And with the exception of the Purdue game, nobody else has tried that this year. Nobody. So yeah. we'll get some more data on how the secondary is coming together, what Michigan wants to run, how they play. Uh, and I think, you know, everything has been very encouraging so far, but we really haven't seen Josh Wallace get super tested. Um, the other thing I'll be interested to see is if Michigan has Will Johnson follow anyone around because he was in the slot a lot with um, Keandre Lambert Smith and that was always man coverage so you got to have some change ups in there so that's, that's not a dead giveaway but if that doesn't look like Michigan prepping to have Will Johnson follow Marvin Harrison around I don't know what it looks like Seems like well, that is going to do it for us, folks. For us here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050, WTK, the ticket, the official voice of the University of Michigan Sports, Ann Arbor, Accumulus Station.